and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I am Brian Hefty along with my brother Darren. Today on the show we're going to be talking a little about weed control in pastures. But if you've got any questions for us or if there's anything you'd like to talk about on your farm or if you do have uh, discussion points, questions you want to bring up about this topic, weed control in pastures, you can certainly call us here, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. All right, so weed control in pastures. Let me first say this. With lawn care, spraying around the yard, spraying in your ditches, it's very commonly the same stuff we're going to use in pastures. So many of these things may apply to you, even if you don't have any pasture ground or have any pasture ground left. So uh, a lot of farmers, like when Darren and I were growing up on the farm, I mean, a lot of people had livestock. And today, a lot fewer people have livestock. A lot of pasture ground in our area has been turned into cropland. But I mean, it really varies depending on where you live and what your situation is. But anyway, when we talk weed control and pastures, I guess the thing that I'll bring up is you just want to get those weeds under control whenever they're there. Because I'll hear a lot of people say, well, you've got to wait till fall or wait till next year. Do I, I'm, I'm just not a believer in that. When you see weeds, you get them under control. The longer weeds are out in your pastures, the more problems you're going to have. And especially if they go to seed, well, now you've got problems for years to come. The other thing with weeds in pastures is sometimes it's not just a, a loss in your grass production and why you need to spray. It's also the harm that some of those weeds can do to livestock. There are many weeds out there that are poisonous. There are also many weeds that aren't real good for the livestock. So if you want good grass production, then let's kill everything else other than the grass. It's not that difficult. It just takes a little bit of investment And so we'll talk today about which products you can use, which ones are going to be the most cost-effective in each situation, and we'll kind of go from there. My favorite, I'll just pick out um, just a few basic things before we get started. Here are my favorites. If you've got thistles, Milestone's the way to go. It's the best product ever invented in the history of the world for thistle control. It's going to give you contact activity and residual. Yes, it costs some money, but I it doesn't Brad's have... I love Brad's strong opinion sometimes. It's the best product ever invented in well, the history is. of the world. It is. and <laughs> it, It's an awfully good product. I won't, I won't well, deny tell me, that Tell me all. one product that's better at killing thistles. You can't because there isn't one. That's a and, fantastic and, product that doesn't kill the grass. I mean, I like right. things like Roundup that get down in there. I love Stinger. No. That's been a great product no. over time, but no. Milestone's been fantastic. No, Milestone's better, and here's why. So with Roundup, it's got no residual, and with... Stinger, it's good, but it's just simply not as good as what Milestone is, especially on all the different various species of thistles. There are some that Stinger's great on, others that's a little weaker on. So no, Milestone's absolutely the best. And, you know, part of this too, why we do the show and why we do Ag PhD TV and have our magazine and website and everything else is to get rid of some of the disinformation, misinformation that's out there. It's it's bad, and people want to sell you stuff instead of telling you, honestly, here's the best thing that there is, okay? Then we can step it down from there, but just so you understand, if you want the best thing, that's what you go with. 
Now, if we talk Leafy but here, Spurge, but here, for hold example. On. Go but hold on, though. Let's let's continue out the milestone, though, because okay. here's what I see a lot. I see growers saying, all right, well, I put a few ounces of milestone in with a whole bunch of 240, and I wanted to get some extra kick on thistles, and I don't see that often playing out well in terms of getting down into that root system and getting through the plant. Here's where using a full rate of a straight product is a good choice. If you've got a thistle patch, you've got rhizomes underneath the ground on perennial plants you got to kill those otherwise you're going to have issues if you don't get that root system killed and what we see too often is a very very low rate of a product mixed with something that's just going to provide top growth burn and it's going to make us feel a little better for a while because we fried them off but then they end up coming back and i don't want to see that with thistles okay so i told you i'd, I'd tell you my favorites for just a few weeds here just to start the show off so thistle is usually the one we get the most questions about in pastures again milestones the way to go if we talk leafy spurge, now at least in my region of the country, our region of the country, leafy spurge is a terrible weed that a lot of people fight year after year after year after year. Generally speaking, though, it's just in patches. So all you usually have to do is go out and spot spray those patches, use Toradon, use a quart to the acre. Yes, it's going to cost some money. And you can talk to me all day long about, oh, these things are expensive and Brian, I can't afford it. No, what you can't afford is lost grass production. And I'm not suggesting you spend 15 or $18 an acre on every acre of pasture you've got every year. I'm saying let's stop the problems. And then usually we don't have those problems to that same degree in the future. And then a lot of times we can either not spray or get by with cheaper stuff. But anyway, I'd go out and spot spray on leafy spurge torta. Okay. If we start talking about just general broadleaf weeds out in the pasture, I love distinct. Now, you can you can go with 2,4-D, and it all depends on what you've got for sensitive crops nearby. Distinct has a little bit of dicamba. Not a lot, but it's got some. So at the full rate of 6 ounces of distinct, you've got 6 ounces of dicamba, roughly. 6 ounces of the equivalent of Banville. So, yep, I'm a little worried about when and where I spray that. Uh, but... Like I say, 2,4-D you can certainly use. You can also go with uh, uh, some straight dicamba if you wanted to, but Distinct for the money is a really, really good product, much better than either 2,4-D or dicamba. Last thing that I wanted to bring up before we uh, take our first break of the day is in terms of overall weed control out in pastures, uh, a lot of people are looking at when they spray and like i brought up early in the show i'd say spray anytime you can but we're going to be going into fall soon you want to get weeds under control the perennials and the biennials probably a couple of weeks before your first killing frost so if that's coming up for you here in a month or so then you got to get out there and get that spraying done you're not going to get the same effectiveness out of many of these products if you wait until you get a frost or you spray after a frost It'll still be okay, but I want you to get the best bang for the buck. We'll talk about that all throughout the show today. Weed Control and Pastures on Ag PhD Radio. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic herbicides from Atticus LLC. Tough broadleaf weeds are a hassle, but they're no match for Cavallo from Atticus. Cavallo delivers fast, contact, and residual control so your corn, soybean, and sorghum crops can thrive. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. 
The Pentair Hypro Express Flush Valve reduces plugged nozzles and improves cleanout of your spray boom. Simply flush boom sections with a quarter turn ball valve and leave your tools in the cab. Plus, installation is easy. Simply remove the existing end cap plug and replace with the Hypro Express Flush Valve. Learn more at Pentair.com slash Hypro. Stop losing money from your stored grain with the Enzone Fan Control System from FarmShop MFG. The Enzone monitors outside conditions to run your fans so your grain naturally reaches ideal temperature and humidity. For more information, visit FarmShopMFG.com. I've got an axe to grind. I hate bromes. Brome grasses can be brutal on winter wheat yields. If you really want to give winter wheat a fighting chance, be brutal right back with Prepare Burn Down Herbicide. Adding Prepare to your glyphosate extends brome control for up to 21 days, giving young wheat the weed-free head start it needs to make something of itself. Because the cleaner the field, the higher the yield. Talk to your retailer or visit preparewinterwheat.com and always read and follow label directions. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen. From conception to completion, there's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. Welcome back. We're, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're talking about weed control in pastures and non-crop ground. And certainly there are a lot of tough weeds out there to fight. We think about row crop and oftentimes we're talking about things out there. Most of those weeds in the row crop situation are annuals. When we get outside of those row crop acres, we're talking about a lot of perennials and biennial weeds. It makes it a little more difficult and it certainly makes it different than trying to kill those annuals. Uh, we've got J.D. Green with us right now with the University of Kentucky. J.D., thanks for joining us. Uh, you're welcome. Well, when we think about tough weeds to control in pastures, certainly there are a lot of these biennials and perennials that we're fighting in our part of the world. What what are you fighting down in Kentucky? What are some of the tougher weeds? Well, certainly the one that comes to the top of the list is tall ironweed. Uh, that's very evident this time of year. Um. And then we do have some some things like horse nettle um, and uh, hemp dogbane, or probably a couple other examples of of some of the more perennial weeds that we see in in late summer. Now, when we think about just reducing grass production, that's one thing. But when we look at weeds that could potentially be dangerous for the animals, that's a whole nother deal. And you brought up horse nettle, and I know there's several others that we really do get concerned about for that. Yeah, if you're referring to the like toxic, potentially toxic type plants. Yes. Um, I mean, usually animals will not graze at toxic plants if they have other desirable forages to feed on. But certainly, we have uh, have some of greater concern than others. One that I'm starting to get questions on this week is uh, Perilla mint. Now that that one though is a summer annual that shows up uh, in late summer uh usually partial shaded areas is where it, where it does best and that's when we do do get a little more concerned about this time of year in our grazed pasture situations uh, of course in the early spring the in or spring and early summer we we're greatly concerned about would be poison hemlock 
um, it's more of a something. I mean, it's pretty much has completed its life cycle for this season. But uh, uh, that's that's a couple of them that probably I'd put to the, towards the top of the list of, of most concern that we have it down in our area. Talk to us a little more about the tall ironweed. What what's the challenge controlling that one? Are there some decent options out there? That's what I've worked on for several years, looking at control strategies. And pretty much my my recommended program for tall ironweed control is to clip the pasture off uh, in late June, July, uh, to to take care of that initial growth that happens the first part of the season. When that regrowth occurs, which typically is going to have a, a younger uh, stems, uh, fresher leaf leaf area, uh, then come in and, and treat it with a herbicide that either contains triclopure, such as crossbow or pasture guard, and or the aminopyrrolid-based herbicides, uh, like Grazon Next, which we have in our area. Um, and I, I, I see a lot better activity by waiting later, some, what I call it, late summer or basically in this august time window and i think part of the reasons for that is we get more herbicide movement into the root of the plant and if we allow that to happen we may not see much real benefit from the season that we do that process but the next year it is highly evident that we've reduced that population by 85 90 percent or more yeah, those benefits down the road are something that, that we notice too. It's it's a big deal. And for growers who say, ah, I don't know if I want to make that investment or make that extra pass or whatever it may be, when you see the next year and the year after that, that you really made a difference out in pasture, it is quite rewarding. Well, and that's one of the things I try to emphasize to, to at programs that I do is that it doesn't matter to me as much as what I see one month or after I've made a treatment, let's say, with the herbicide. It's what did I gain a year after the process. And that's where the real dividends, I think, come in play because we remove some of that weed competition. We allow our desirable uh, grasses and other forages to to occupy those areas. Then we have a lot more to, more desirable plants to graze if you will i love that. that's a great way to look at it get the desirable plants to take back over that space and it's going to benefit you for the long run we're talking with jd green at university of kentucky jd thank you so much really appreciate having you on i'll have to have you back sometime yeah well one other quick point though, oh sure is the cultural practices and the management practices are so vital in that whole process it's not just killing the weeds it's doing the other things right to improve the desirable forages. You bet. Yeah, we'll get into that a little bit more as we continue this discussion. Uh, Thank you so much, J.D. Really appreciate it. You're welcome. Have a good day. You too. We've got Miles with us down in Arkansas. All right, Miles, you heard some great advice there out of J.D. Green. uh, Cultural practices to improve just grass growth in general out in your pasture. That's a good way to look at things, but you can take over the space that these weeds are occupying. Exactly. Yes, sir. That's the main focus of what we're trying to do but i have a question for you guys sure. because we are uh, uh normally when you call you ask my you know talk about how things are going and we've reclaimed a bunch of ground that uh, we brought the mulchers out and reclaimed ground but we're having an issue with bamboo 
growing back, and I cannot find anything to kill it. Do y'all have any recommendations? Yeah, it's bamboo is tough to control. So it's reclaimed, and what are you trying to put there? What what type of crop? Well, we're we're putting it back to pasture land. Oh, so okay. it was it was some uh, cut over ground next to the river, and uh, we we've, we've used our mulches before many times, and it does great. This time we ran into the bamboo, and and I've tried uh, Roundup. Uh, we're we're in the process of building a wicker to try to wick it, but man, we yeah. cannot get that stuff out. Okay, but let me ask you, what kind of rate did you use? Uh, on the well, we on the roundup we did it with the uh, ten ounces to the gallon. Ten ounces per gallon. Okay, and what do you? Uh, how many gallons That's did a you put out? Thirteen to one. Thirteen to one concentration oh yeah darren knows where i'm going on this so how many how many, ga- how many gallons per acre were you spraying on it would you guess oh uh, well at that point we weren't we were just uh uh with a wand sprayer just focusing on the groups to do a short test on it to see you know to see how we could do it um we were we could put our uh, big sprayers in and, and do it the same amount you know 10 gallons of pro- not product but volume per acre with that roundup mixed in yeah i thought it was interesting bren uh, we deal with a lot of growers down in north carolina north carolina state had put something out about bamboo control and i think their ratio was two to one two exactly. parts water to one part roundup yep. in their their wiper type application and they said it still took them a few years to really get it under control but well, but they eventually did okay but here's the thing you know in a wick or wiper it shouldn't be two to one it should be zero to one it should be literally straight glyphosate that's in the wick I, and i'm dead serious is that, on bamboo. Is that what's on the label I, you I, have to follow no, the label that, Miles. That, yeah but that that is on the label because that that ha, that is not actual spraying okay so on the label oh, all right so i'll i'll take you back miles i uh, a few years ago we were talking about uh cattails and i just said you really, if you wanted to control cattails, it should be, you know, maybe, well, let's just put it this way, the highest possible rate you could ever dream of on Roundup with a gallon or two of water, and that's all you need in the sprayer. And anyway, uh, our state uh, Department of Ag goes, well, Brian, that's not labeled. And I'm like, look, I'm not saying that's what a farmer should do. That's not my recommendation. I'm simply saying that's what it would take to control the cattails because it's, I have no issue with that because yep. our labels can fall off the, the, the jugs quite easily. <laughs> now, you didn't say that here on the radio, Miles, but I'm just telling you that your concentration isn't high enough. We have this same issue nope. with many of the weeds that don't have good, uh, they don't have a lot of leaf to them. They have waxy leaves, bamboo. I mean, yeah, your concentration was just way too much water, not enough Roundup. You go strong Roundup, it'll get it. So you wicking is the best way instead yep. of uh, okay. Yep, wicking would be Sorry. great. Yeah, let's talk a little bit more about that right after this break. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Your land is a legacy, a challenge from those who tended it before you to build on their foundations. At Corteva AgriScience, we understand what it means to be the stewards of a legacy. We embrace the challenge of building on the foundation of Dow AgroSciences to maintain your trust, to bring new solutions, to help you care for your land. 
See how we can help build your legacy at rangeandpasture.com. If you're looking to get the most out of your foliar nutrition and fungicide programs, ask your ag retailer about Nutex EDA from Sipcam Agro. Nutex EDA has been proven to increase foliar micronutrient tissue levels and maintain those levels for an extended period of time. When tank mixed with fungicides, Nutex EDA helps support plant health, resulting in higher quality and yields. Nutex EDA is an affordable and effective solution that should be part of every grower's high-yield toolbox. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's Mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whenever you want. Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet however, whenever, and wherever you want. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmyourway. Oh my goodness, did you see Bob's gorgeous soybean rows? Um, totally. I couldn't believe how clean, weed-free his entire field looked. I'm like, so jealous. I heard he started using this new post-applied residual herbicide called Perpetuo, and it's burned down and long-lasting residual powers making his soybeans like literally the talk of the town. Ah, so Perpetuo's his secret. Yep. Talk to your retailer or visit valent.com slash Perpetuo to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. I've got an axe to grind. I hate bromes. Brome grasses can be brutal on winter wheat yields. If you really want to give winter wheat a fighting chance, be brutal right back with Prepare Burn Down Herbicide. Adding Prepare to your glyphosate extends brome control for up to 21 days, giving young wheat the weed-free head start it needs to make something of itself. Because the cleaner the field, the higher the yield. Talk to your retailer or visit preparewinterwheat.com and always read and follow label directions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. Today on the show, we're talking about weed control and pastures. Well, right before the break, we're talking to Miles from down in Arkansas, who said he's had some bamboo in reclaimed land causing a problem for him. Well, it's out in pasture ground. So in pasture ground, we don't have a lot of options for bamboo. The best thing on bamboo is typically Roundup or glyphosate, but you got to go crazy strong through a wick. Uh, then we're probably just going absolute straight glyphosate. That's what I would do. And I go six pound glyphosate rather than four pound just to get even more concentration. He was saying he'd gone 13 to one in like a backpack or, or a four wheeler kind of sprayer, 13 parts water, one part roundup. And I just said, that's, that's not going to work. I mean, if it was me, I'd almost go pure product in there. You have to follow the label. So follow the label, please. But I'm just saying you have to get more into the plant. When you have plants like, we often talk about cattails, but there's scouring rush, there's, uh, there are a lot of weeds that just don't absorb a lot of chemistry. They either don't have leaves, they have waxy leaf surfaces, whatever the case. You, you, you have to change 
the equation. You got to improve that concentration. The other thing that I'll tell you is cultural practices. So we were, we were talking about that a little bit earlier with with pastors in general, where number one that I'm always thinking about is drain tile. So the weeds I just mentioned, like scouring rush, cattails, bamboo, what do they like, dry or wet? Well, they like wet, and they like when they don't get a lot of competition. Well, let's face it. When you've got wet soils, most plants can't survive. The roots die off. The, the, the soil is not very alive. So it's a struggle to raise other things. So that, therefore, means that these weeds don't have as much competition. So tile fix the drainage, do things to maybe, maybe you need more calcium in the soil. I mean, I'm just saying we've got herbicides, but we also have to look at the cultural practices and then we can stop weeds like bamboo, cattails, scouring rush, all those really super crazy tough weeds. Darren, do you have anything else? What do you know about casserone, Brian? Because diclobinil or, well, would be a product that's, casserone would be a product that has that in it. They say it does a pretty decent job at killing the rhizomes. If you put it out like in a winter treatment, you're using glyphosate for the for the top growth. But is that just because we can't get enough glyphosate into the plant? Is that why you guys are having trouble killing those rhizomes too? Well, yeah, they're not getting enough glyphosate into the plant. Like I say, glyphosate's the answer to bamboo. If you want to try some casserone, if you want to try some ALS herbicide or something, you go ahead. I'm not saying you're going to have a complete disaster, but glyphosate's the way to go. All right, let's head up to Penn State University. I don't know if, if uh, Dwight Lingenfelter has to deal with bamboo up there, but we can find out. How you doing, Dwight? Good. How's it going, guys? Good, good. All right, yeah, bamboo. Man. Is this one that you get in your state too? <laughs> well, not 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 usually. Generally, if we have any bamboo, it's long escaped ornamental along the roadsides or something like that. So we really haven't dealt with it that much in a pasture or forage situation. So I guess I don't really have any really real good answers for you in that, that setting. How about pasture weed control in your state? What are some of the big weeds that you're fighting? I know there are a lot of trees that are desirable in Pennsylvania, and that probably makes it a little tricky too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, most of the weeds we get questions about this year are, are more and more the perennials, you know, things like horse nettle and common milkweed and hemp dogbane, ground cherry, um, you know, thing, things like that. So there, there's a lot of a lot of questions about. Um, you know, now, now that people are starting to to you know, get into their their you know late season cuttings of these these uh, forages, you know, how should they be setting themselves up in order to you know do, to to allow the, those the weeds to you know accept the herbicide, you know, and get enough herbicide in the plant to take it down in the root system to kill it. So that's kind of what we what we're talking about right now is you know you mow and you let them regrow till about 12 to 15 inches, and then and then you can start thinking about you know applying some systemic herbicides to get it in the plant to kill the root system. We were talking with J.D. Green down at University of Kentucky, and he talked about that strategy with tall ironweeds, a weed they're struggling with. And he said if they mowed things off, that regrowth a lot of times was easier to get that treatment in. So I think that's a, an interesting strategy. This time of year, we see a lot of growers putting in surfactants. Maybe it's a crop oil or a non-ionic surfactant with some of these products to try to push it through that tissue. Has that been effective as well? Yeah, you know that that's one of those things that you know we 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 as we're making recommendations, we always say to make sure they read the label to see what what surfactants are necessary or or, or type of adjuvants. You know, I mean, just just especially in these these areas where they're droughty conditions, uh, it's harder to get the herbicide into the plant. Um, so so and and using the correct one too. You know, there there's 
a lot of different adjuvants out there, and 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 some you know think it's a one size fits all, and they're just putting the same thing, you know, whether it's in their corn or soybeans or pastures, but you really need to follow the label and and and, and you know be directed by by that as determining what depending on the chemistry and what what adjuvant you add to it. We get a lot of questions about late summer and early fall type treatments in pastures. And many times growers say, oh, I got busy cutting silage. I got busy rolling right into corn harvest and I never had time. Now we had a frost. What kind of impact does that make? Do you think we can be too early on these pasture applications or is the right time to do it just whenever you can get out there? Well, I think a lot of it, it depends on, on what, what weed you're dealing with. You know, we we. we often talk about warm season perennials versus cool season perennials and and a uh, weed such as horse nettle for example is more of a warm season perennial it starts to go dormant a lot earlier than something like canada thistle or quack grass you know which you could you can spray those you know late later into the end of the year so so it, it yes timing does matter and i think that's where you know you know ad- proper identification and understanding the the biology of the plant really can is necessary to determine, you know, when, when to apply it instead of just saying, I'm just going to go out there and spray right now no matter what. One weed that we've had a few questions on, and I, I think you've got this in Pennsylvania too, is poison hemlock. Are you seeing much of that? Is that becoming a widespread problem or is that kind of localized? Yeah, I mean, that's a weed we get questions on pretty much every, about April, we get a question on poison hemlock. It, it, it's in that 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 uh, family similar to the wild carrot or Queen Anne's lace. It's a biennial um, weed, so meaning it has a two-year life cycle. So the best time to go after biennials is, is in that that first year when it's in the rosette stage. You know, once biennials get through the winter, and then you try to try to combat them in the in the spring, they're harder to control. Um, so so we always recommend if you have poison hemlock to uh, make sure you're you're out there in the fall. Um, and, and in most cases, we've had pretty good, good success with just, you know, combinations of 2,4-D and dicamba, you know, at least, at least a quart, quart and a half of 2,4-D and a pint of dicamba usually does a pretty good job on it, um, you know, in, in the fall. Um, and that, 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 that's better than trying to tackle it in, in the springtime. Yeah. Good, strong rates. I, I love that you mentioned the rates too, Dwight, cause that's one of the things we see too often is, is especially homeowners, but also Farmers and ranchers, too, will sometimes cut rates a little bit or, or get advice on rates that are fairly low. And in some of the products that you mentioned there, like the dicambas and the 240s, you've had so many concerns about drift and issues that have happened the last few years. What do you see in some of the new Group 4 formulations, whether it be a 240 choline or the new Rinscore products like Duracore, for example? Do you see those working well? Yeah, you know, we, we, um, I, I really have not had a chance to look at Doracar yet. In fact, I, I need to talk to my Corteva rep about that to get some of that product. But, um, yeah, I mean, there, there are some of those, those newer choline formulations, you know, for example, 2,4-D, uh, choline called Freelex, um, that can be used in pastures. Um, I, I know, you know, we, we get a lot of, a lot of complaints about, you know, some of the volatility of these products. You know, we have a lot of vineyards in, in Pennsylvania and, uh, there's always concern about that, but again, at that time of year, you know, as we get into later into the season here, the, at least in, in in my area here in the northern northern uh, areas, it's not as as big of an issue from a from a, uh, a volatility standpoint later in the year as it is you know right now during the middle of summer. Talking with Dwight Lingenfelter with Penn State University. Dwight, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on again, and uh, hope you have a great rest of your summer. You're welcome. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it.
talking about weed control in pastures. Also taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can send us an email as well, radio at agphd.com, or find us on Twitter, agphdmedia, Brian Hefty or Darren Hefty. We've had a number of questions coming in here for the Ag PhD mailbag. We'll dive into those right after this. Stay tuned. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy. All the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Worried about glyphosate-resistant weeds and grasses in your corn? Unleash the power of new Impact Z herbicide and get the early post-application advantage you've been waiting for. Save $3 per acre when you combine Impact Z with a qualifying insecticide purchase. Go to buy2save3.com for details. Buy2save3 is a service mark and Impact Z is a trademark owned by AMVAC Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact Z is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. Stop losing money from your stored grain with the Enzone Fan Control System from FarmShop MFG. Hot spots and moisture in your bin can cost you thousands in lost revenue. The Enzone monitors outside conditions to run your fans exactly when you want them to, naturally bringing your grain to ideal temperature and humidity. Master bin management with the Enzone. For more information, visit farmshopmfg.com. More choices, more money. With Bayer Plus Rewards, you choose from our broad portfolio of high-performance products. Earn more money on the eligible products that are right for your farm. And use our new portal to see your purchases, track your rewards, and decide how you want to use them. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to sign in and start earning. That's the advantage of more control in your hands. That's the plus. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky Herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy-to-handle formulation. <laughs> Gooseneck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at openskyherbicide.com. Hey everybody, come on in. The Ag PhD mailbag is about to begin. Thanks for listening to Ag PhD Radio. If you've got a question for us, our phone lines are open at 844 
844-AG-PHD, or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. It's exactly what Stephanie did, who said, how long does insecticide last for aphids in my Milo? I'm just wondering if we should spray them or if we should just cut it and feed it up. Well, wait a second. Ask What's the first part of the question again? How long does the residual last? Yes. Yes, if we spray, how long does insecticide last on aphids in Milo? Yeah, so, but then the question was, should we cut, just cut it? So what I'm, there are two separate questions here, and I don't know which one we're getting at. How long does the insecticide control the bug, number one? Number two, what's the pre-harvest interval? Well, you can look on the label of whichever insecticide you used, and pre-harvest labels very often are going to vary from 7 days to 28 days. So you just have to be a little bit careful with that. But it's right on the label. Just look at pre-harvest interval, and that will tell you how long in advance of harvest or in advance of cutting you have to get this done. Now, the question about how long is the residual control for aphids, as long as you're using the full rate of, let's say, a pyrethroid, generally speaking, I tell guys one to two weeks. Now, it was funny because I had a question during this morning on soybean aphids, and a a guy asked me, hey, what's the residual control? And I said, one to two weeks. And he goes, well, wait, I had heard it was like 28 to 35 days. (laughs) I go, no, no. I said, there might be a trace of insecticide left 28 to 35 days, but is it going to kill very many bugs? No way. There's not a chance in the world. Now, the reason why sometimes those numbers get thrown out there, like 28 to 35 days, is because you've thin the numbers out, okay? And when you've killed all the bugs, it takes a while to build the populations back up. So a lot of people will start talking about, well, boy, for 28 days, my crop looked good. But then all of a sudden, after 28 days, they had all kinds of insects. Well, actually, you probably had insects starting to show up again 14, 21 days, 25 days later. They just weren't at threshold levels. So anyway, there might be a tiny bit there, uh, three weeks later or something, left to possibly repel a few insects, but killing bugs that late, that long with just a regular pyrethroid, no way. All right, thanks for the question. Got one from Danny here, and he said, I am in northeast Colorado spraying some dry land fallow ground. I'm wondering how much water should I use when I'm spraying Roundup, Dicamba, and LV6? All right, so spraying fallow ground. Yeah, I'm just wondering, why are we putting... Uh, both dicamba and 2,4-D in there. Um, okay, let me let me throw this out. So one of our neighbors just a year or two ago was, it would have been a couple of years, maybe two or three years ago now, anyway, was in their pasture putting dicamba and 2,4-D together, and we had dicamba beans right across the fence, literally, and they sprayed right to the fence. Well, of course, what did it do? Drifted into our crop and hurt our crop. And I knew the agronomist, and I'm like, hey, what are you doing? Why would you recommend this? Well, I kind of like a mix of dicamba and 2,4-D. I go, number one, dicamba plus 2,4-D does you no good. So you're wasting your money. Number two, you knew darn well we had dicamba beans right there. <laughs> Why didn't you just spray straight dicamba? Then even if you would have drifted, it wouldn't have hurt anything. So anyway, I, I, it, okay, if you go Roundup, dicamba, and, and 2,4-D, 
Uh, come back to that again, Darren. What was the what was the ultimate question? Sorry, I forgot because I got How off. How much on my water tangent. do you need yeah. when you're spraying those? Well, you don't need a lot of water. Uh, people overdo it on water, and we talked about that a little bit earlier in the show on some of these weeds that don't absorb a lot of chemistry. Now, fortunately, most weeds out in pastures will absorb a fair amount of chemistry in water. So, let's say it's thistles or leafy spurge. Uh, you know, just some general annual weeds out there. Most of them are fine. So if you went 20 gallons of water, you're probably okay. Is 10 gallons typically enough out in the pasture? It usually is. Generally speaking, and especially if I assume livestock's been out there all summer long. The grass has grazed down a little bit. The weeds are standing a little taller. So you're not going to have a coverage issue. And if you don't have a coverage issue, I prefer 10 gallons of water to 20, simply because now my droplets are that much more concentrated with herbicide. Now, since you said dicamba and 2,4-D, let me say it one more time. Be super careful about the drift issues. Dicamba moves all over the country. 2,4-D, especially LV6, is not much better. So that's uh, that. That's really what I worry about. All right, had a couple of comments here. Uh, this one comes oh, from. Gut. Wait, yeah, and wait a second. Uh, and I, I, sorry, I just wanted to clarify. I said pasture. We're talking about fallow, fallow ground here. Fallow, if sorry. if he's got small weeds, is what I meant to say. Sorry, I'm confusing everybody with my my dumb response. But uh, if you've got small weeds, ten gallons. That's okay. Is what Janelle's I prefer. recording it all, Brian, and she can replay it again. Just I know for fun. it's ridiculous. It, yeah, it's it's too bad it's not TV and we can't edit that out before it goes on the air. But anyway. Small weeds, so let's, let's well, anyway, small weeds, 10 gallons is what I prefer. If everything is big out there, you're going to have to probably go 20 for the best results. Sorry. There you go. All right. I had a couple of comments about, we were talking about uh, cover crops and should we put on fertility, adjust pH, all those kinds of things ahead of a cover crop. And a guy just commented, he said, if you if the cover crop absorbs the nutrients, you leave it all in the field. And later that can be released to a cash crop. You aren't really wasting any money. I think that's exactly the point we were making is if you're not taking anything out of the field, that's a little different situation than if you're grazing it or bailing off there or something like that. Well, no, grazing is the same thing. because, Well, not the same thing. Uh, but you're going to at least have some of it coming back. But, yes, it, it, there, there are different levels of that on the nutrient end of things. So, I- anyway, what, what we had talked about, too, and – So Darren and I were discussing this just the other day with this whole, should we fertilize cover crops or not? And I just said, look, if it's a cash crop, I don't mind investing money. If it's not a cash crop, why in the world would I invest money into it? And by the way, to me, when I graze a cover crop, that is not a cover crop. That is a crop that we're grazing. So I am all for fertilizing a crop that we're grazing. So I I don't like how that's very often called a cover crop. That's not true because now it is a cash producer for your farm. When it's simply a cover crop and we're simply holding down soil, trying to prevent weeds, that kind of thing, that's not making you money in the short term. So that's where I don't like to invest money in the short term. All right, another topic that we had was narrow leaf hawksbeard, and Doug said you guys should post some pictures about narrow leaf hawksbeard online. Uh, Blair said this one is a huge pain. Thanks for the weed control information on narrow leaf hawksbeard. I think there there just is always another new weed that comes up, Brian, over time. And we were talking about poison hemlock with Dwight Lingenfelter with Penn State. 
I don't know. When we were growing up, it was cockleburs and sunflowers on our farm. Now we don't even talk about those weeds. It's other weeds that we're dealing with. So, yeah, there's always new ones. If you have questions and need some help trying to get them under control, let us know. Yeah, but most of the time they aren't actually new. They were there, and however you were controlling them before was good. And then you switched herbicides. You switched tillage system. You You changed something. In part, maybe to control the weeds you were having a problem with. Well, that maybe made things better for these other weeds. So with narrow leaf hawksbeard, since you didn't mention the control there, Darren, and we were talking about the other day, I will just say, like in pastures, so we're talking about pastures primarily today. 2,4-D works, dicamba works, distinct works. Um, so we've got a lot of choices there. You can also use all of those in, let's say, fallow ground. Um, or, you know, let's say you're going to corn or something in the spring, you could use Culex. You certainly could use Sharpen. Sharpen has real good residual. Uh, also, you could use that Sharpen in front of wheat or corn if you wanted to use it in the spring, let's just say. Um, in small grains, a high rate of husky will give you a suppression. Wide match is just not fantastic. Some people are trying this new Culex in wheat uh, along with wide match. That would be an option. You get to pulse crops. That's usually where we say, hey, do the same thing we often talk about in soybeans, the three pre program, uh, because Metribuzin and Spartan will do a real good job. Get back to more of your calls and questions right after this. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio and our phone lines again are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back. When it comes to effective herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. They've been bringing growers trusted brands like Burnmaster, Scorch, and Spitfire for decades, made right here in the USA. What's your favorite New Farm brand? Email it to turnuptheburn at newfarm.com and you'll be entered to win a monthly $1,000 product giveaway. In these unprecedented times, you're facing unprecedented pressure. New Farm's here to help. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy, all the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm the fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, fuel, able to reduce our fertilizer side. So it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. More choices, more money. With Bayer Plus Rewards, you choose from our broad portfolio of high-performance products. Earn more money on the eligible products that are right for your farm. And use our new portal to see your purchases, track your rewards, and decide how you want to use them. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to sign in and start earning. That's the advantage of more control in your hands. That's the plus. 
Each year brings new and unique challenges to farming, and your operation needs to constantly adapt to meet them. That's why at AgBiome, we're working every day to bring you new and better solutions, microbial-based solutions that protect your crop and help it reach its full potential. To learn more about how we're doing it, visit agbiome.com. That's A-G-B-I-O-M-E.com. AgBiome, feeding the world responsibly, partnering with microbes for human benefit. Oh my goodness, did you see Bob's gorgeous soybean rows? Um, totally. I couldn't believe how clean, weed-free his entire field looked. I'm like, so jealous. I heard he started using this new post-applied residual herbicide called Perpetuo, and it's burned down and long-lasting residual powers making his soybeans like literally the talk of the town. Ah, so Perpetuo's his secret. Yep. Talk to your retailer or visit valent.com slash Perpetuo to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us questions, radio at agphd.com. Let's head down to Georgia. We've got Lori on the phone with us right now. Lori, how's it going? Just fine. How are you doing? We're doing quite well. What's uh, What's happening in Georgia? Um, it's hot and dry, and I've got some weeds uh, popping up in my uh, cow pastures. It's a Bahia Bermuda mix, and I've got um, dog fennel. I think it's called Bristly Starburst. And um, I'm trying to think, what was my third weed? Uh, Cucklebur. Okay. Yeah, you get some fun ones there to deal with. Cockleburr is one that we know pretty well. We used to have that a lot on our farm growing up. Maybe I don't know if you were listening today, but we were actually talking about that a little while ago. That I remember growing up, we had cockleburr and we had wild sunflowers on our farm. That was our two biggest weeds that we were often fighting, and now we don't see them anymore. All we see is pigweed, it seems like, in a lot of our row crop ground. So, yeah, all right, We so, have those too. <laughs> all right. Well, yeah, I mean, it kind of goes without saying, doesn't it? You're in Georgia. Of course, you're going to have some pigweed. Uh, so, right. Lori, have you used 2,4-D out there? I have not. Okay. That's that's probably what we're talking about. That's probably the cheapest way to go. Now, we mentioned some others that you could use. Distinct, we really like. Duracore, we would really like. But, I mean, if you could get a hold of some low-drift 2,4-D, like Freelex, for example, that's going to do a, a good job on Cockleburr and your other two weeds, Dog Fennel and Bristly Starburst. Or, or Starbur. Um, that's probably what I would do. And I don't know if in your area, 2,4-D is restricted use. It's not in most areas in the United States. So just about anybody can go out there and spray it. Okay. And, and I actually have some. Um, what about... Uh, oh, make sure you... It may, uh, I don't know if you have the, the real stuff or the watered down stuff you get at the hardware store, but just make sure you have a good rate out there and then you'll be fine. Okay. I, I have the real stuff we good. farm also. Perfect. So the next question is, what about um, the, with the 2,4-D, do the livestock have to be removed and what is that time frame? Uh, in most cases, they don't have to be removed. We're just talking about beef cattle, right? That's right. Yeah. So in most cases, they don't. But nevertheless, I always like to keep them out uh, just for a few days. So let's say I've got uh, two parts to my pasture. We might go 
put them in one part for a week and spray the other side, wait a week, and then swap it around. But in most cases, and you can look right on the label of any of these products you're going to buy, it'll tell you the grazing restrictions. But there are a lot of products out there like 2,4-D that really aren't very harmful to the livestock. If anything, I'd like to at least keep them out until the product dries onto the plant. But even then, you know, if you waited a week, then you're really super crazy ultra safe and going above and beyond the label. Very good. I appreciate it. And I think, uh, thank you very much. And I enjoy listening to your show and learning from it. Awesome. Thanks, Lori. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, Brian, we got an email from Toby in Washington and he's got some pinto beans that that he had asked us about earlier this season and he said i'm sending you a petiole sample from my irrigated beans they're in full bloom now this is the field that i was talking to you about earlier i did apply some liquid k and some limestone which made the beans look a lot better now i'm wondering if you see anything in this test that i should be concerned about okay so i don't know uh, the the lab, I don't, does it even say the lab? It might say the lab. Anyway, all I see here, it, what I got on this sheet is just some results and what they call sufficiency, what this lab calls sufficiency. And just so you, you, you know, everything turned out fine other than nitrogen, phosphorus, and sulfur according to this test. So if we're going to believe that that lab knows what they're talking about, then by that with that, we would say, hey, I'd be taking a look at nitrogen, phosphorus, and sulfur for most crops. Now, you said it was pinto beans. Okay, so the first thing I'm thinking about is, all right, it's beans, so usually we don't add a bunch of nitrogen there, but you could if you wanted to add a little bit of nitrogen, especially when they're in bloom, don't go crazy or anything. Um, A lot of times, like with soybeans, for example, we'll say, we call it side dress, but just putting some nitrogen on the ground or in the ground somehow, some way is fine. If you want to go over the top, you have to go a really low rate with a fair amount of water. Phosphorus doesn't get into the plant through the leaves very well, and it also doesn't move in the soil very well. So fixing your phosphorus problems right now, that's going to be a lot tougher. Sulfur, that moves pretty easily in soil, kind of like nitrogen does. So you could add sulfur a number of different ways. But here's the big thing that I want to stress to you. Tissue tests are not predictive. Tissue tests tell us simply what we have today. Tomorrow, I can promise you one thing. The numbers are going to change. Are they going to go up or down? That I don't know. So that's why we like using tissue tests. But we look at soil tests so much more because they're predictive. That tells me, well, how much is in that soil? And that's going to give me a good idea of whether or not my plants can get it eventually. So you might be fine on some of these other nutrients today, but if your soil is pretty well tapped out, well, now you're going to be in trouble. So yeah, we love the fact you're using tissue tests. I just, I'm not going to bet the whole farm based on one tissue test on one day in the summer. That's all I'm trying to say. All right. Thanks. Uh, really appreciate that, Toby, for the, for the question. Got this from Caleb down in Georgia. He said, guys, we took your advice about using yield data and plotting our soil fertility by that yield data to see where we're at. He said, we've only harvested one field so far. I'm blown away with the data. The yields are phenomenal for non-irrigated dryland, but now we know how to increase them. Next year, we've mapped out base saturation K at various yield levels as we went through just our first field here. When we had 4% base saturation K, the yield was 90 bushel to 150. 
When we got up to 6% base saturation K, it was 130 bushel was the lowest, up to 170. And when we got up to 7% base saturation K, our lowest yield we had in that field was 160 bushel, up to over 200 bushel. That was a big difference. Now, also, let me just say, this is after harvest. These are the nutrient levels after harvest. Does a well, good corn on, crop hold on, hold on. pull out nutrients? I don't know that, Brian. I don't know if that's soil samples they just pulled or if that's the spring oh, okay. soil samples. Okay. Well, when we do it on our farm, we're doing it after harvest. So yes, to your point, Darren, if it was before harvest, that's one thing. But that that's a big factor. Were the soil tests before, uh, before the spring, so in other words, last fall or the spring, or were they after harvest? And you just have to weigh that in. And where I'm going with this is the numbers are always going to be lower in the fall after you had pulled a crop off of there. So I just want you to be thinking about that. But yes, that's what we encourage you to do. We encourage literally every farmer in the world to evaluate yield points. And I'm talking points. I'm not talking whole fields. I'm talking yield points. You pull a GPS point. Pull that soil test right from that point. What did the yield monitor say? Then you got another point. Then you got another point. And you might have, well, whatever. We do one acre grid. So that's why I was just saying last fall, we farmed 3,000 acres. We soil tested on one acre grids over 2,000 acres. So I had over 2,000 acres of data, over 2,000 points of data. And when you compare 2,000 yield points versus 2,000 grid soil test points, now we're getting somewhere. And just like he found, our higher levels of base saturation K was higher yield. Our higher uh, zinc was higher yield. I mean, we had some things that were the opposite. Our higher magnesium was lower yield. And so it basically helps you identify, where should I stick my money next? Because here's the problem. You're going to walk into wherever you buy your fertilizer this fall, and they're going to say, well, you need N, P, and K, and just do this rate. And you'd be shocked at how close your recommendations are to your neighbors and how most acres are the same recommendation as the next acres. And then you can go, wait a second here. I got yield data that shows this is what I should stick my money into. And what my data on my own farm says, that's the data I'm going to listen to and follow. So we're always trying to help you get smarter here. And we want it like today, we're talking about weed control and pastures. And there are a lot of things that, I mean, ask us the question. We're more than happy to help you out. But when it comes to soil fertility, you can generate your own data and you can figure out where should my dollars go? What should I spend my money on? What's going to give me the best return on investment? Just with the information you have on your farm. That's why we want you doing soil tests. And again, when you soil test, we talked about this the other day, do it at a point. Don't randomly walk over five acres, 20 acres, 50 acres. You want to take a GPS point, drive to that point, soil test all the way around that point. Now you've got something because you're at a point. You can pull the yield there. You can pull the soil test information there, compare the two. You did that over lots of acres. Now you're going to know what to do for fertility for next year. All right. Good job, Caleb. And good advice for everyone to share as well. Thanks for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.